6th Advent Sunday, love last Sunday, this Sunday is joy, and of course next Sunday is peace, and then we have the Christ candle where we will focus on the theme of all of this being Christ born in us. Every follower of Christ understands that they are born again. Uh, some of us, though, sometimes struggle from that idea of, okay, I'm born again, but what does it look like? What does life mean for me to have Christ born out in me? How do I birth out those things of Christ, this, this hope, this joy, this love, this peace? How do I have those things come forth from me into the world and into my circumstances? And so that's why we have studied these things to look at how is it that we can be born uh, bore out Christ and into this world and into our circumstances. And joy is an interesting thing. It's a it's a very mercurial thing. And what I mean by that is slippery. We can't can't really get a hold of it. Sometimes we confuse joy with happiness and joy with, as Lee was saying, you know, things and it, things that make us feel like we're happy. And so it, we always are searching for this idea of what does it mean. Uh, to have joy and to be a joyful person or to uh, rejoice. Um, in this Christmas narrative this morning out of Luke in the second chapter, I want us to begin to understand some things about joy. And it's a perfect, perfect Holy Spirit um, revelation of what does joy actually mean for the believer in Christ. So read with me, if you will, from the second chapter of Luke. We'll start with the eighth verse and Go all the way to the 20th. Hear the word of the Lord, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that it will be for all the people. For unto you born in this day in the city of David is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with them an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts proclaiming God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on the earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see these things, this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they, were, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen and all that had been told to them. Let us pray. Lord, now we ask that you would open up your word and illuminate the words of your penmanship, your giving, would you open our ears that we may hear, our eyes that we may see, that we may see Christ and Christ alone. Lord, in my weakness, would you be strong? In the places where I fail, O God, would you succeed? And O Lord, forgive the sins 
that I have, that I may proclaim your gospel clearly to your people. Pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his glory. Amen. So C.S. Lewis said this about joy, that joy burst into our lives as we go about our daily walk. D.L. Moody said that this, where we live in this world and on this plane, is the plane, the land of sin and death. But up there is unceasing joy. It is the land where joy never stops. I think both of these men got it in their quotes that joy is something that is alien to us. In other words, joy is not something that we have naturally within ourselves. We cannot conjure up joy all on our own. Certainly we can be happy and certainly we can also be giddy. We can, we can laugh and we can do all sorts of things, but those things fleet. Those feelings pass quickly oftentimes, leading us in search of what can the next event or the next thing or the next uh, drug or the next picture or the next drink or the next car or the next level of my bank account, all of those things. What is the next thing that can give me some permanency in this feeling of ecstasy? And how do I ever make it stop fleeting that I might hold on to it? Which is all just this neon sign, this flashing red light in humanity that says we do not have the ability within us to generate joy. That joy must come from the outside. And that's what this search for happiness is all about, isn't it? Looking for something from the outside to come into the inside to give us some type of feeling of euphoria. Let me say some things in studying joy that I've learned about it. One is this, that joy is received. Joy is something that is to be received. It is a great possession. It is not something, again, that we generate. The second thing is this, that joy is a status more than it is a feeling. That joy is a status more than it is a feeling. Certainly, joy generates feelings. But those feelings come from a source. And that source is a status for the believer. The third thing is this, that our existence, joy is an existence more than it is an experience. Joy is an existence more than it is an experience. And then fourthly, joy is an expression more than a representation. Joy is an expression more than a representation. And I'll talk about those four things in and out through these three points. But all of those points are to lead us to understand that our search for joy is not in things, but in the Lord. And they are revealed to us in this narrative about the birth of Christ. As we see these shepherds and this glory of the Lord being revealed to them, and they are received by these shepherds, and certainly by us as well. And we see this third thing about these shepherds who receive this joy, how they begin to reflect out that joy. So let's look at this first thing, this this joy revealed. 
And we look in this eighth verse in this amazing story of, of God and the angels in heaven proclaiming this birth of the king of the world, the king of the universe to these lowly shepherd men. And it's an amazing thing that these would be the first people that God would proclaim uh, this gospel, this good news, this exceeding joy to. Many of you understand this and have studied this, and some of you were at One Starry Night actually lived this out in in the uh, the play. Dan was an excellent shepherd. I think um, uh, Donna, you were one of the shepherds as well. Uh, they played out this part of these people that. Uh, People had a smile on their face to sit and hear their story and, and people were patient and, and enjoyed and even laughed at Dan and some of the things that he was saying. But that wouldn't be real life in Bethlehem in an ancient Palestine. The shepherds were no people to be laughed at. Normally because they would take their staff and crack you over the head if you laughed at them. They were, they were not a nice group of people in that society. They were the lowly people of that society. They were the workers of that society. They were the the outcasts. They rarely came into town. You can imagine what it might be like to spend a week out in the field sleeping with sheep. Lee and I both commented last night walking through the, the, the animals there that they had a particular and peculiar odor about them, especially the sheep. And we talked about how we, Cod calls us sheep. I wonder what we smell like sometimes. But can you imagine spending a week out in the field, up, cuddled up next to one of those sheep? How when you came into the church on the Sabbath, at synagogue on the Sabbath, others may find that you smell. So they were kind of a odiferous group, odious group. You might find that they um, didn't make it to synagogue often because they were out working. In fact, chances are that where these particular shepherds are, they were actually raising the sheep that would be sacrificed within the temple. In this very place where they would raise sacrificial lambs to go into the temple, they rarely attended. So for God to come to this group of guys, and not to come to a pastor, or not to come to elders, or not to come to churchgoers, is something that we should take note of. that God would go out there, out into the field to make His first proclamation of the good news. I don't know about you, but the days that I feel like an outcast, the days that I feel unattached, the days that I feel like I'm one of those out in the field, it's good for me to know that those were the first who God would come and visit at the birth of His Son. And maybe this morning you're sitting in here and you feel as though I'm an outcast. I'm alone. Well, the good news is this, that you're not. That God, in the same way that He revealed this amazing joy to the shepherds, He reveals His amazing joy to you as well. It says that the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, this word fear is a word phobetomai. It's a word that I always will remember out of my Greek class. Mostly because my Greek professor had a speech impediment and he stuttered. And he really put emphasis on, fo, 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 bit of my. And it just kind of gave it that feeling of, this is, I'm scared. It's where we get the word phobias from. And the way that this word is described in the scriptures, it's a great phobia. It's a 
paralyzing fear. It's the type of fear that puts you on your face. It's the kind of fear that makes you fall and makes your knees buckle. And it said that the angel of the Lord came to them and they were exceedingly, greatly afraid. And notice the first words of the angel. Fear not. Fear not. Why? Why would they not be afraid? Because we bring you great tidings of good news and great joy. You see, the kind of joy that the Lord reveals to you and to I and to all who would come and hear this gospel message, this good news, this euangelion of, of the grace of God coming in the form of the King and every promise of the Old Testament being fulfilled and yes and amen and this baby that would be wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in Bethlehem that this amazing good news would overcome all fear. And the idea of joy is to extinguish Fear. That the whole revelation from God and His joy is to come into our existence, our circumstances, and extinguish our fears. We've been afraid for a long, long time. And it's manifested in almost every area of our lives. In the way our relationships work, in the way that we try to insulate ourselves from pain, in the way that we walk through this life. And we've been doing it since the Garden of Eden, trying to figure out how can I avoid pain? How can I avoid suffering? How can I avoid discomfort? Because I'm afraid in all of those areas, I'll be alone. And yet God says, never Will you be alone? Because Emmanuel is with you. And He brings you good news of great joy. This is something that the world outside of Christ cannot understand. They can't understand that beyond happiness, there's some other existence that is a status that is given to you that even in tears, even in the most difficult moments, even in your greatest fear, you can have joy. Because joy doesn't come from you, but it comes from God to you. And it is revealed to you in the coming of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. And by doing so, the angels tell us that there's a new status that has been established. And what is that? It says, I bring you good news of great joy. It will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And He will be a sign for you. Here it is. He will be a sign for you, <clears throat> a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And it says, suddenly... The angels and a multitude of heavenly hosts <coughs> praising God, saying, Glory be to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom He has pleased. <coughs> Another version will put it, on whom His favor rests. You see, the coming of Christ 
this advent of the Messiah, this advent of the King of the universe, this, this coming of God Himself into earth, Emmanuel, to be with us, is good news because for those who He put His favor on, we have a new status. And the status is this, that you are saved. That He sent a Savior into the world to save you and I. Well, to save us from what? Certainly sin, but all of the other implications of sin as well. All those things we just talked about in fear. And the things that fear produces within us. The idea of self-promotion, self-adulation, self-aggrandizement, self-confidence, self-esteem. All of those things where we fall short that fear drives us towards. We find God coming to say, I save you from that kind of life. Not only have I saved you from sin and the penalty of sin, death of sin, and the punishment of sin, which is death itself, but I saved you from all the implications of that as well. I saved you that when you feel fear, you may extinguish that with joy. When you feel anger, you may extinguish it with joy. When you feel alone, you can know the company of joy. When you feel isolated, you know the good tidings of the voice of heaven of joy. Now note this. The status is this, that God's favor is on you. Which means this, that God's joy is on you. That ought to be a stunning message to each of us. The whole crowd should have yelled, Amen. Anyone who follows Christ should scream out with great joy, Amen. 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 Because God's favor does rest on you. And not because you deserved it, not because you found it, but because God chose to favor you. And in favoring you, He says, your status is my joy. It's an amazing grace. It's an amazing gift that this baby would come to die to change our status from at enmity with God, in isolation from God, into the status of being with God and being in God. I heard a whisper of a hallelujah. <coughs> Listen, there was a great multitude of angels that sang, you're going to have to lift it up a notch to compete with the angels and the multitude of heaven. Some of you don't like loud music. You're going to have to get over it in heaven. I understand it's pretty loud there. <coughs> Thank you. Excuse me. Thank God for water. But in verse 14, we have this understanding. You see, our whole worldview must change. Because of this favor of God in verse 14, glory be to God in the highest on earth whom He is pleased. I don't know if we ever understand what we have received. A joy received. God... God's not mad at you anymore. And God will never be mad at you again. 
God's not angry at you, and He will never be angry with you again. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have placed your faith in this Advental Messiah that came, if you have trusted your life over to Him, and you truly believe that He has died for your sins, not the sins of today, but the sins of yesterday and today and tomorrow, and He has settled the debt for all of eternity, if you believe that with all of your heart, God is not angry at you and He will never be angry at you again. Because your debt is paid. And there's nothing going to be added to it. Because it was already all paid. Now just a warning for those of you who are not in Christ. There's some serious anger issues God has with you. Don't know about you. I wouldn't want that on my shoulders. I can tell you a little bit later how to get rid of that. And there will be people here that can tell you how to get rid of that. But I'd much rather have the joy of the Lord than the wrath of God upon me. You see, this joy is received. God sets His favor on us. In what way does He do that? How do we, how do we look at this and we say, okay, sounds great. I like the idea of God's favor on me. I'm starting to kind of see this joy thing is, is something that isn't affected by my emotions. It isn't affected about how much I feel about things, but it really is established as a truth. But what, how does that work itself out? How do, I, how do I put my hands on that? How do I see that? Well, start with verse 15. When the angels went away into heaven. Okay. There must be some place called heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see if this this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. See, it's the general question I'm asking right now. How do do we put our hands on this? The shepherds are asking, let's go see. How's this thing working out? And when they went with haste, they found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. What was it that was told to them concerning this child? We go back to what we just read. He'll be a sign for you. And suddenly there were angels, a great multitude in heaven, praising God, saying, Glory be to the highest on earth, peace among those whom he is God is pleased, whose God's favor rests upon. See what they're saying? They've gone, they see this thing, and then they realize this baby, this Christ, is the one who has been proclaimed since Genesis, the seed to come to crush the head of the serpent, and God has kept His promise. And He has fulfilled all the prophecies in Christ. And the shepherds understand this, and they see this, and they put their hands on it. Christ has come. Our favor is in Him. He is what we put our hands on. He is where we set our focus. That God really is pleased with us in Him. This amazing gift. Not that we have given God, but that God has given you and I. It's where we really miss it on Christmas Day. 
It's not about the gifts that we give. It's about the gift that God gave to us. The promise has been kept. The Savior has been born. And the Savior is Christ. And all, in verse 19, who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. That Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen and had been told to them. You see what they do? In the field, this glory, this joy had been revealed to them. They saw it. They fell to their knees in great fear. Then they heard the good news. This amazing grace that of good tidings, this gospel, that everything that God has promised has been fulfilled for His people, that He's offered His Son, He's come to the earth in the form of a baby, He came as one of us, so that He might represent us as He would be crucified on the cross for us, and that He resurrected on our behalf so that in Him we are caught up with Him. As Paul would say in Ephesians, now we sit with Him in the heavenly places. And the angels, or the shepherds saw this, and then they went to take hold of it, to receive it, and receiving the Christ child. And then look what they do. They go and they reflect it. It says they go out, glorifying and praising God, for all that they had heard and had seen. In verse 18, we see from their story, from this joy, we see amazement. They see glory. In the sad times, in the bad times, in the hard times, in the sick times, in the great times, in the wonderful times, even at Christmas time, We stand in the status of joy. So that joy doesn't wax or wane. Joy doesn't fleet from us. But joy is always availed to us to walk into. Because we are in Christ. How should the church be the most joyous place in all of the earth? Why are we not the reflection of this joy to the world? We reflected it certainly last night. But isn't that really our constant behavior, not just saved up for one night of the year, but it's truly to be our constant exuberance every day. David Suna, who was the owner and the operator of uh, Kingstown Technology, and we heard a similar story recently with St. John's Properties where they met their $10 million goal and the, and the boss gave everybody a bonus 
some of the bonuses or the average bonus was $75,000. One employee who had been with him a long time actually got $250,000. Now, I don't say that. I just thought about this. I'm not saying that in conjunction with your love offering for the staff. <laughs> but I want to say for this point, I want you to hear what the, the owners of the company said. It was their joy to give it. You see, we've got something much more than a great staff bonus. We've got something much more greater than a big company bonus. We have something more than a great 401k this year. We have something more than our loneliness. We have something more than our desperation. We have something more than our lack of peace. We have something much more than anything this world could ever offer. We have the glory of God that has been set upon us. We have the glory of God that has encased us and dripped over us. We have the righteousness of Christ's robe wrapped around us. And we have a guarantee of life everlasting. Glory be to God in the highest. Let the multitude sing. Let God's people sing. But by God, let us do it 365 days a year. Let us do it in the doctor's office. Let us do it in the lawyer's office. Let us do it in the schoolrooms. Let us do it in the hallways of our workplaces. Let us do it in our church. Let us do it in our daily drudgeries, in the laundry room. Let us do it when we vacuum the living room. And you can say to me, Pastor, I just don't feel like it. And I hope you got this. Joy in the feeling. Joy is a status. And you can choose to walk into it anytime you want. The door is always open. You can say, Pastor, I battle with depression. Well, guess what? So do a lot of us. Pastors, I promise you, get depressed. Often. I experience sadness all the time. But in the experience of my sadness, how do I come out of it? How do I battle it? How do I fight against it? With joy. And the joy that is mine in Christ. How can we begin to appropriate this gift of joy? Well, First of all, we must begin to quit looking to the world to be our source of joy. We must repent. We must quit saying, this world has something to offer me that will satisfy me. There's nothing this world has that is going to satisfy you. You will always want the new next car. You will always want the new next dress. You will always want the next promotion. You will always want something more and more and more. And that is the sign we cannot get satisfied. There's nothing this world has that can satisfy us. But we can be content in the joy that is ours knowing that our human existence is not measured by our happiness. It's not measured by our sadness, but it's measured by our status. And that can bring us joy. So we must repent from looking to the world and we must believe in this baby who came, who once was, 
the uncontained one, the glorious one, the one in whose image we were made, the one who was the agency of everything that is, the one who spoke the word, let it be, and it was so, came as a child, as a baby, a swaddling baby, to express and reveal the joy of heaven to us, that we might enter into that joy, receive it, and share it. That we might know. We might share. That we might take. Secondly, Look for the off-ramp. In this road of life, when the traffic's heavy and the heart's beating hard and there's anxiousness and there's sadness and there's all sorts of distractions, that's the time to look for the off-ramp to joy. Pull off the highway and go down to the next road that says Joy Lane. You say, it's just not that easy. Unfortunately, it is. Unfortunate for our human rationalizations, but fortunate for our human existence. It really is that easy to say, Lord, show me the off-ramp to joy. Show me what you've done for me. Tell me again the gospel story of God. Tell me again how your favor is on me. Tell me again, God, how you're pleased with me. Tell me again, God, you'll never be angry with me again. God, I'm a sinner. I repent from not believing. Help me, O oh God, in my unbelief. Tell me, O oh God, that I'm yours. And you will hear, child, son, daughter, you're mine. And everything that is mine is yours. Look for that off-ramp to understand that you're a joint heir with Christ. And then enter into the Father's joy over you. The whole point of Jesus coming was so that God would be joyful over you. Lee quoted it out of Zephaniah in the children's sermon this morning. The children's message that God would sing over you with joy. And that was the whole prophecy of Zephaniah, that God would come in Himself and He would take the punishment of our sins. He would take His wrath upon Himself. That He would punish His Son with our punishment. That He would isolate His Son with our isolation. That He would forsake His Son so that we would never be forsaken again. so that we would know that we're in Him. And in Him is the source of all joy. We should enter into the Father's pleasure over us. God loves you all who follow Him. He loves you with His Son's life. But more than just loving you, 
He's joyful about you. You bring Him great happiness. Because you look like His Son. You smell like His Son. You have His Son's record. The Son presents you to the Father as a gift. That you and I literally are gifts from the Son to the Father. And that's the whole point of the advent of this Christmas season. That Christ would come to cleanse you, to wrap you up in His robe and present you to His Father and say, Father, a gift of glory for you. Be pleased. And God says, yes. Yes, my people, my sons, my daughters are my pleasure. I'm going to go at Christmas time, Lord willing, and see my children. They're scoundrels at times. I told Lawrence today his kids have set the bar high in gift giving. I need to pass that on to my children. My boys have got some work to do in gift giving. But man, I love them. Man, they bring me joy just being in their presence. I just, I just like them. And, and you parents get it. Your kids can do a lot of really crazy stuff like we did when we were kids. But just being in their company, just having them around the table, there's a sense of joy. Don't you know how intensely more exponentially God feels about you being around his table? Your father loves you. And he's pleased over you. And that should help us to exude great joy and reflect that joy unto the world. Let's pray.